You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. How you doing, Revolution Church? All right, whatever, I'll take it, man. It's a little bit less lively. Now, I know there, uh, you know, let me, let me just say this. I don't get to say this very often. Merry Christmas. Yeah, like that's awesome. It's Christmas, obviously. I am usually kind of a Scrooge because I work uh, in retail and I have to listen to Christmas music all the time. So I usually don't say Merry Christmas to anyone until the actual day on principle. Um, but the, today is different. I, I am gen- I'm genuinely so glad that you've all come here to worship our God and King with us this Sunday. Um, I know we're a little bit low in number compared to normal, but I do see some uh, some visiting faces and some returning faces that have been coming back, and I'm glad you guys are here. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I know a ton of our regular people are out of town uh, or at family events, and I trust that they worshiped somewhere today. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that we could all meet together today, today to celebrate not only Christmas, uh, but to honor the Lord's Day um, and obey the commandment given to us to meet together as a body, right? Uh, Paul tells, or some people think it's Paul, wrote Hebrews, whoever that was, uh, says don't forsake assembling together, right? So whether it's Christmas or not, we assemble together on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, and we worship. Um, But anyway, it's Christmas, obviously, it's Christmas. And this is actually my first time preaching on the actual Christmas Day. I've only been doing this for about four years, so I'm I'm actually really, really excited. Like, I know I'm maybe a little bit Ben Steinish right now, but it'll change later, I I assure you. I'm really excited to be preaching. Um, And usually I'll start off my Christmas sermons uh, with jokes, about how pagan all of our traditions are, like the Christmas tree and the Yule log and how they tie into Thor and a bunch of other stuff. It's really funny. Um, I'm kind of starting to go there already. Uh, but, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, I want us to, to somberly consider what we're celebrating. Right? I know often uh, whenever we gather together, it's a lot of, uh, in some churches, borderline entertainment and a lot of joking around and not a whole lot of, of seriousness, not a whole lot of somberness. And I, I want us to, to stand apart from that, uh, especially today. Because today we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And often we just refer to him as Jesus, but I want you to take that into consideration. We celebrate the birth of the Lord, the sovereign king of the universe, was born and we're celebrating that today. This is one of, the, one of the two biggest celebrations that we have as the church, and I know that you know that. Um, but I have to ask this. Do we really know what we're celebrating? Right? And I know that that's a cookie-cutter question right? that can have a, a cookie-cutter Sunday school answer. I, I totally get that. But what I mean is, and I was talking to Holly about this earlier this week, uh, what I mean is that for most of us, Christmas is a fairly big deal, uh, but a lot of us have gotten kind of jaded towards the event of the birth of Christ. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we're a tad bit jaded towards it, right? We've heard the story. We've seen the nativity displays. We've heard the slogan, right? Keep Christ in Christmas. We've heard all that stuff, and we're just kind of, eh. I mean, we're just kind of jaded towards the whole thing. Um, but have we really stopped this Christmas season to consider the gravity of what we're celebrating? That's what I'm asking. Have we really stopped to consider the gravity? Have we, have you, individually, I'm asking you, have you been awed by the fact, have you stood in awe of what God has done for us in the birth of Christ? Have we really grasped in our hearts that Scripture tells us that this event that we're celebrating is cause for great joy? Have you considered that? Have you been awed by that? Do we rejoice this day because of what God has done or because it's merely another fun time of the year for us? 
Right, so the big question that I'm asking, this is really the focal point of the sermon, is what about the birth of Jesus gives us grounds for celebration and rejoicing? What is it about the birth of Christ that gives us grounds? Why do we celebrate? Why should we rejoice? So this evening, uh, we're going to, to look at the account of the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. Right, I'm real original this Sunday. We're going to go to Luke's Gospel. We'll be in chapters 1 and chapter 2. If, you, if you're a Bible flipper, if not, it's going to be up here on the projector. Also, if you're new, there are pew Bibles, uh, especially the blue ones. They're really easy to read. Uh, it's a translation called the NLT. Uh, take that home with you. Super easy. That's our gift to you. Merry Christmas. You're not stealing. Um, so we're going to give special attention in Luke's Gospel to the announcement of Jesus' birth given by the angel of the Lord to the shepherds. And then we're going to look at their response. That's our focal point, but we're going to look at a couple other things too. And my goal this evening is to crack into what the angel is proclaiming to these men. And in doing so, I'm going to attempt by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the reality and the excitement of what God has done for us in the birth of Christ. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to be walking in and out of the text. I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, and we're just going to work our way through chapter 2, essentially, and part of chapter 1. All right, so please be open to this. Right? Don't, don't be jaded about this. Don't do what I have done in the past with Christmas sermons and kind of roll your eyes and say, of course, you're going to Luke chapter 2. We all know this. Some of us have these parts memorized because they're read to us every year at Christmas in our families. Don't say that this is generic. Don't, don't roll your eyes at this because nothing could be further from the truth. This is not generic. Like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened in human history. And this whole text is a huge announcement of good news to sinners like you and I. All right, so with that being said, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to crack into Luke chapters 1 and 2. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much uh, for bringing us all together for, for another time to worship you corporately. Uh, Holy Spirit, please use me as a mouthpiece. Open our eyes to the scriptures, illuminate the scripture to us, soften our hearts to receive your good news. Father, let us stand in awe of your mercy towards us in Christ. Let us stand in awe of the fact that that God became man in order to bring men to God. Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, draw an unbeliever to faith this evening and warm our affections towards you, those of us who are believers. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to jump off at. And I just want to let you know, Luke is setting the stage for a monumental event. All right, this is the birth of Christ foretold by an angel to Mary. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. All right, so Mary's visited by an angel and told that she's going to have a child, right? But she understands some stuff about biology. I know she's back in the first century, but she says, I'm a virgin. There's no way that I can have a kid. And this is actually, I know this, a lot of this is going to be a review for us, but this is a call back to prophecy, right? The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Isaiah is talking to, king, to the king of Israel at the time. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us, right? So a virgin is going to conceive, bear a son, and this son is going to be God incarnate, right? So the child to be born won't be a sinner like us. Is something that the angel is also getting at, that the Holy Spirit's going to place this child in Mary's womb, right? Two sinners make another sinner, but this child is going to be different. Right? He's going to be placed in the womb. He's going to be born sinless, not like us. And because of that, the child is holy, or set apart by God for a specific use, right? We know that this baby, and this, this is, it just cracked me this week, this baby that is to be born is born to die. Think about this for a second. We are all born and we will eventually die because we're sinners. This baby was born with the express purpose to die. This child is holy, set apart by the Father for a specific use, to atone for sinners. And this child will be called the Son of God, the angel says. It will be given the throne of David, which is another callback to prophecy. If you guys know 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God, Yahweh, is talking to David, and he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God is making a promise to David. He said, I'm going to raise up someone in your bloodline in the future, and he's going to be king, and his kingdom will be forever. He will sit on your throne. I will establish your throne for forever. So this child, according to the angel, is going to have an eternal kingdom of David's throne. Right, again, in Isaiah 9-7, Isaiah prophesied the same thing. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right, so all of these things, and I know a lot of this is review for us, but all of these things that the angel has said is going to be true of this child to be born. They have all been prophesied about the Messiah, right? This Messiah, this chosen one of God, this anointed one of God who is to come and save God's people. And now the angel is saying, this is going to be your kid and you're going to name him Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. All right, so the Roman emperor, right, this is same time, Mary's very pregnant, right, she's getting ready to have this kid, and the Roman emperor calls for a census, Right, essentially, in order to impose taxes upon the Jewish people. And Joseph has to go to Bethlehem, his hometown, and register because, according to Luke, he is, quote, of the house and lineage of David. I, hope you guys, I don't know if you guys are connecting this together. Luke is telling us that the child's father is of King David's line, that his father is, has royal blood. And I know what some of you might be thinking. It's what I thought whenever uh, I was an atheist 
but, but Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father. So Jesus really isn't going to be of the line of David. And this shows you the sovereignty of God, that God will not be thwarted in any of his purposes. In Jewish custom, if a father adopts a son, then the adoptive father gives the legal lineage to his adopted son. Right? So Luke is setting something up for us here, that this child will inherit King David's line. Right? He will be of King David's lineage. And also Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem, which is the place prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that the Messiah would be born. Right? And the reason why I'm trying to draw all these things out is Luke is doing a really good job of building up tension and expectation and hope, if you know your Old Testament. Right? He's really building this up. Right? It, like, so we're, we're reading this and we should be asking, could this be the king? Could this be the one promised to David? Could this be the Messiah that Isaiah promised that would take on the sins of all of God's people and suffer for them? Is this the Messiah? Is this the king that we've been waiting for? Luke 2, 6. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her, Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Right, so the child is born in Bethlehem to the line of David, born of a virgin. The king has come according to the Old Testament prophecy. Right, The virgin birth would just be enough to cinch it for me, just laying that out there. But all of these things that have been prophesied are true of this child who has been born. And not only that, but again, Luke is, is making it very clear that Jesus is Mary's firstborn son. Now why is that relevant to us? This means that he has all legitimate claims to David's throne. There's no opposition. He has no siblings that can claim this throne for himself. This is the king without opposition. He is the firstborn son. So think about this. And again, I, I know we're reviewing a lot for us. But everything that the world has ever needed has just been born. Everything you and I need has just been born. Incarnate deity. God made man. The Word made flesh, according to John. That has just happened. Everything we would ever need has just taken on human flesh. The promised one, the King, the Messiah. And yet, this King, right, very God of very God, light of light, begotten, not created according to the creeds, is born in the lowest room of the house. Right? Essentially a stable. Think about that. The one that we all need, this king, God in the flesh, is born in a stable. It's dirty, there are animals around, and the king of glory is laid in a feeding trough. Right? I know a lot of times we, we've, we've glorified the word manger. Right? It's a feeding trough for animals. He's laid down in that. The king of all kings and lord of all lords is born lowly to common parents in a stable. This is a cool thought for me. Jesus Christ is born into anonymity as far as the world was concerned. He's just another kid with poor parents. But heaven is about to burst forth in celebration as we go on. Chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, right? So this is in Bethlehem, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, or unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So an angel appears to the shepherds in order to announce the birth of Jesus. This is the biggest thing to ever happen in human history, ever. This is the best news we've ever had, right? Because Christ has not yet been crucified and raised from the dead. This is the best thing that's ever happened thus far. Why would you announce this to lowly, poor shepherds? Why would God do this? Right? I don't know if you guys know too much about their culture, Jewish culture in the first century. Shepherding was considered one of the lowest positions that a human being could have. <laughs> like, legit. Um, these men were uneducated. They were poor They were humble. They were dirty people. They have no influence. Shepherding was something that you could get a kid to do because it required little to no skill. They have no influence. They're despised by almost everybody. Basically the lowest on the social ladder. And yet God announces it to them before anyone else. This is his first announcement to the world via an angel. But isn't this just like God to call men like this to come and see the greatest thing of all time? He said, I want you to consider the grace of God in going to the lowest of the low and going to them and announcing this great news, right? God always calls the least likely, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, God didn't choose many of you who are of noble birth or rich or influential at all. Actually, he's chosen the weak things of the world in order to shame the things that are strong. He's chosen the things that are not in order to shame the things that are. This is just like God that he would do that. But why the shepherds? I think there's something maybe a tad more I think these shepherds were representative of the people, right? Like the people of the world in general. If, if this good news of the birth of Christ is for them, then it's for everyone. If this is announced to the lowest of the low, then it's for, from the lowest to the highest. I want you to take that into consideration, especially if you're not a Christian. No matter where you're at, the social scale, this is for everyone. This is for Jew, this is for Gentile, this is for people who grew up in church, for people who haven't grown up in church, for the rich, for the poor, for the college grad, for the uneducated. It's for all of us, this good news is. But then what does the angel actually announce? The first thing the angel says, and I always think this is really funny, the first thing that the angel says is, fear not. Why would, why would the angel say, fear not? These shepherds were terrified. Right? This always makes me, makes me laugh whenever I read the Bible. Not laugh as in it's silly, but like I would be in the same position, but it's just funny whenever someone else is scared and I'm not. Um, so these shepherds were terrified because the glory of God, and I, we pass over this whenever we read this text, the glory of God had just burst open around them, right? Essentially making the nighttime around them day, right? This, this glory of God is the same glory that Moses saw partially, Right? This, is the, this is the glory of God that Isaiah saw, the train of God's robe in the temple. Um, if you are into Old Testament studies, this is the Shekinah glory. Or in Hebrew, I believe it's called the Kabod. Right? This, is, this is beautiful light, brighter than the sun. It hasn't been seen for centuries either. It hasn't been seen in forever. And these men, like everyone in the Old Testament who saw God's glory, became terrified. They see the holiness of God, His radiance, His glory, and they realize very quickly they are wicked sinners that deserve this God's wrath. But the angel says, don't be afraid. And in studying this, if you actually go through and you study every instance where either God or an angel tells human beings not to be afraid, this is beautiful. Anytime an angel says, don't be afraid, God is about to reveal grace to human beings. Every single time. So they're afraid, which also tells us that if you ever see like the glory of God and he doesn't tell you to be afraid, you should be very, very afraid. Um, but God is about to reveal grace, and this is the grace. The angel says, fear not, 
Why? Because I bring you good news. Right? The root word of, of good news in the Greek is he actually says, I bring you gospel. Don't be afraid. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to strike you down right now. I know you're seeing the glory of God right now. But I am here to bring you gospel of great joy. Right? So this good news, this gospel that the angel is about to pronounce or announce to these shepherds is intended to make the people rejoice. Right? And the people uh, is a technical term for the people of Israel. Right? But we also see in verse 31 and 32 of chapter 2, you should read it. This is also for the Gentiles. Uh, I think it was Simeon says, a light, has been, a light of revelation has come to the Gentiles. Right? So this good news is for the people of Israel and the Gentiles. This is for all of us. Intended to make us all rejoice. So this good news is intended to bring joy to the world as a whole. But verse 11 tells us that this joy is also meant for the individual. Right? I bring you this. This is joy for you as an individual. Right? So again, whether you're a Christian or not, recognize that this good news is intended for you as an individual, not just for the whole of the world, but you specifically. And what is this good news? Verse 11 tells us, Unto you is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. Those are three titles given that are intended to make us rejoice. Right? The first one says, Unto you is born this day a Savior. Right? So a Savior implies that there is a rescue needed. Right? So the angel is saying, there is one, capital O, right? There is one who has come to save the people from God's righteous wrath. There is a Savior. You need rescuing. And if you're an unbeliever, I'm talking to you. If you're not following Christ, you need a Savior. This child has been born, this Jesus has been born with a mission that he agreed to in eternity past to save the world from a righteous, holy God's wrath. A Savior is born to you. Right? I know that there's a lot of different, quote, gospels, which aren't gospels at all. They're false gospels. Jesus did not come to save human beings from earthly oppression. He did not come to save human beings from unfulfillment, which is a uniquely American problem, right? That I'm just not fulfilled. My life is not as, as big as it should be because we have unrealistic expectations on what life should be, that it should be easy and it should always be like just a bed of roses. But Jesus did not come to save us from unfulfillment, although there is fulfillment found in him. He did not come to save us from poverty. He did not come to save us from persecution or sickness and all of those things that happen in this life that are negative. But he came to be a savior, to rescue us from the hell that we deserve because of our sins. Like, really, like, let this sink into you. You have rebelled against the God who made you. You've spat in his face and lived how you have wanted to live, saying, I am God over my life, and you will not tell me what to do. Christians, you still do this. We all do this on a daily basis, and it's disgusting that we would rebel against this good Father who gives us the breath that we breathe, who gives us the, the sunshine, who's given us family, who's given us, let's be honest, most of us have received pretty good Christmas presents, and everything is a gift from Him. And yet we choose to rebel against Him, but He, being merciful towards sinners, has sent a Savior. How merciful a God do we have? And the best part of this news is that he will save his people. 
Jesus will save his people. Matthew 1.21 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So hear me. Jesus will not fail. And what he's going to do, he's just a baby now, but he's going to grow up and in 33 years be crucified and raised from the dead. He won't try to save anybody. God doesn't try to do anything. He just does it. Jesus won't just make salvation possible for people either. He will save them. Jesus Christ did not build three quarters of a bridge to salvation and you, by your own work and will, have to build the other quarter. Jesus built the whole bridge and then he grabs your dead body and walks you across the bridge. Jesus will save his people. He will actually secure the salvation of his people. It is written in stone. He will do it. This is good news. A Savior is born who won't just try, but will actually accomplish everything he intends to accomplish for everyone he intends to accomplish it for. The second title that the angel gives him, he says, a Savior is born, Christ. Christ is the Greek word for, the Hebrew word for Messiah. I don't know the Hebrew for it. I'm not going to dig into that. But Christ means Messiah. So think about this. The angel has just announced, the one who has been promised to humanity since the fall happened in Genesis has now come to you. Genesis 3.15, God's cursing the serpent, Satan, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians call this the proto-evangelion or the first gospel. That God, as soon as the fall happened, I read uh, Matthew Henry, I think. He says, no sooner had the mortal wound to humanity uh, been like, struck on them, that God applied the healing salve of the gospel. Right? So Adam and Eve have just sinned, and then God tells Satan, I'm going to make you and the woman enemies. And your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. And he shall bruise your head. What does that mean? He, he a man born of the woman. A man is going to, in other translations, crush the head of the serpent. But you will strike his heel. You you will wound this man, but he will utterly destroy you. This is a promise of the God-man. What is Jesus? Jesus is fully man and fully God. He is the one who was promised in Genesis 3.15. So he is the Christ, this promised one who would come to crush the serpent. One of the coolest nicknames of Jesus is the serpent crusher. It's so metal. The serpent crusher has finally come. The Christ, the serpent crusher is here. So think about this. Let's just roll through some history of the Old Testament real fast. The offspring who would bless the nations that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is here. The king who will rule forever that was promised to David is here. The one prophesied by Isaiah, Jacob, Ezekiel, David, Jeremiah, Daniel, Moses, Hosea, Zechariah, Micah has come. The one that we have been waiting for. The sent one of God, the Holy One of Israel, the Son of God, the Son of Man is here. God has been promising him for thousands of years and he is here now. <laughs> Consider what that, like, what that would do if you understand what this means and you're, this is being announced to you, you shepherd. The one that you've read about, the one that's been promised is finally here. So God, this tells us that God made promises to the world and Jesus' birth is proof that he hasn't forgotten any of them. 
He says, I will redeem. Satan will not have the last word. I will destroy him. I will destroy sin, and I will do it through the death of my son. God is faithful to do everything that he has said that he would. So in the words of the Apostle Paul, this angel is essentially telling these shepherds, the fullness of time has come. And now you have a Messiah, a Christ, born under the law to free you from the penalty of the law. And the final title that the angel gives, or rather not gives, he just has this title. The angel is announcing this child is a savior, Christ the Lord. The Lord. In Greek, it's hakurios. That's the Greek word for Yahweh. If you ever look in your Old Testaments and you see Lord written in all capital letters, that's Yahweh. It's God's personal name. This is a very intimate name. The Lord is the Greek equivalent of that. Right? Notice it's capitalized in your, in your English Bibles. And so this angel is announcing to them that this child is God incarnate. That, that God the Son has taken on flesh. That God himself has taken on the position of a servant like Paul talks about in Philippians 2. That this is the God-man. In Jesus. And sometimes we've been in the church so long, especially if you grew up in it like I did. We, we don't realize that in Christ, God has done the unthinkable. Like Islam rejects this, Judaism rejects this, a ton of religions reject this, that God became a man so he could die for men. That is inconceivable. He became a man in order to redeem the fallen nature of men. He did this to save wicked men. And I think it's especially good for us to remember that he is called... Jesus is called the Lord. He's essentially being called Yahweh. It's good for us to remember around Christmas time, because I know a lot of us, we, we look at the nativity scenes, and we watch like, we listen to like the Christmas tunes and stuff like that, and that's fine. But we think, oh, like, look at this frail little baby that's helpless. And we think like Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights, right, in your golden fleece diapers, you know the quote I'm talking about. Like, like we, think, we think of that, like, oh, like he's powerless, he's helpless, he can't do anything for himself. But yet this text stands and says, Yahweh has been born to you. <laughs> so that means that, that this frail child is the sovereign God of the universe. Think about that for a second. Like, don't let his humanity outshine his deity here. This is the Lord. This baby is the Lord God Almighty. He is the creator of all things who holds all things together by his will. And yet, he has humbled himself to become like us. The angel says in verse 12 that they will find this child laying in a manger. So, like, consider this. I, I'm a fairly, like, I'm reformed, so I don't really have emotions anymore. Um, yeah, some of you get that joke. If you don't, just whatever. Um, <laughs> But consider this. This broke me this week. The Savior, Christ, the Lord God Almighty, is a baby in a stable laying in a feeding trough. Let that sink into you for a second. Behold your God lying in a feeding trough. This is our God, Christian. There is no God like this. Period. That God would lower himself this way is inconceivable. No human being would think this up. 
No, no other religion has a God of condescension. And I don't mean condescension as in he's, he's being a jerk like we use the word, but I mean condescension that he would come down. No religion has a God like this. Jesus Christ had the right to be born in a palace and laid in a bed of gold. But instead, he associates with the lowest of men. The humility of the manger, like the humility of the cross, is a stumbling block for some. And it's foolishness to others to think that God would degrade himself. But for those of us who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God that God would do such a thing. Pick it back up in verse 13. So the angel makes this declaration, a Savior, Christ the Lord is born to you this day in the city of David. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. So I want you to get a mental picture in your head, right? It's kind of cool to read the Bible and make a movie play in your head if you have a little bit of imagination. Um, this angel, solo angel, maybe Gabriel, maybe not, we're not quite sure, announces this to the shepherd. Savior, Christ the Lord has been born to you today and immediately thousands upon thousands of angels appear in the sky shouting and screaming, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Think about that for a second. Like heaven cannot contain itself. Declaring the, the glory of God, praising the Father for doing such a thing and allowing this child to be born in order to rescue sinful man. And what I thought was interesting whenever I was studying this is in saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those uh, with whom he is pleased. In saying this, these angels are actually clarifying and expounding on what Jesus had come to do and why. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of cool. So the, original, or the initial angel says this, and they're explaining it even further. All right, so they say, glory to God in the highest, which tells us why Christ has come. Christ has come for the glory of God the Father. Right? Like the angel said, this good news is intended to cause us to rejoice and give glory to God. Like we read in Isaiah 9-7. Why does God deserve the glory for this? 9-7 in Isaiah says, The zeal of the Lord will do this. That this is a complete and utter, sovereign, uh, one-way act of God that He would send Christ to be born. Right? So get, the, get this through your head because this is not a popular thing to hear around Christmas. God has not sent Christ into this world because we deserved Him. At all. You don't. I don't. That's why it's called grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. None of us deserve this Savior, this Christ the Lord to be born to us. We are all, like I said earlier, rebels against God. We all sin. So why did God do this? The same reason that He does everything. To the praise of His glorious grace. For His glory, so that we could stand eternally, those of us who repent and put our faith in Christ and say, look at the grace that God gave us in this child. Glory to God in the highest. I did not deserve it, and yet He gave it to me. But what has God done through the birth of Jesus that causes the angels to give praises? Well, they declare that too. On earth, peace. Right? So this is another thing, again, because everyone says, oh, Christmas is such a peaceful time. Mm, maybe in your house, but like, look around you. Not everywhere. Look at other nations. Not everywhere. This is not an earthly peace that this child has come to instill. 
Jesus actually says, you think I've come to bring peace? No, but a sword, right? So Jesus himself says, no, I didn't come to bring peace. This is not an earthly peace, right? We still have wars. Jesus had little peace in his life. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with much grief. So we know it's not peace like that, but rather this is peace with God extended towards human beings. Peace on earth from the Father. Like Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is the kind of peace. That's why we sing the song, Joy to the World. God and sinners reconciled. There's peace with God now. So through this child's life, death, and resurrection, we will have peace with God by repentance and faith. That this baby is going to accomplish everything for us. This is a grace from the God that we have sinned against. So surely, this is the best reason to praise Him. Glory to God in the highest. Why? Because of the peace He's given. But I know if you're like me, maybe you're reading that last half, and you're like, hey, and you're like, hey man, like I thought we were saved by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, but the last half says, peace among those with whom He is pleased. So if you're like me, you think, okay, does that mean like I have to please Him in order to get this peace from Him? No, <laughs> not at all. Right? This does not mean that, that we have to do something to please him in order to have peace because that would nullify the entire reason that Jesus came because like the Apostle Paul says, if anyone could have been justified apart from faith in Christ, Christ would not have come. But this was really, really awesome for me to get to study. The Greek is literally peace among the men of his good pleasure. Kind of switches things up a little bit. I don't know why we didn't just put that in our English translation. I don't know. But peace among the men of his good pleasure. This is a technical term for the elect. So this peace is not towards those who have earned it because you can't earn it. This is peace given to those whom God wills to draw to Christ by his grace. So this peace is a gift from God. Right? So if we combine all these things, since we've broken that down, these angels are declaring glory to God and peace towards those men who come to this child by faith, and it is all a grace from the Father. There's no working for this peace. It's freely given. Like Isaiah says, unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. It's a grace. It's a gift. Pushing through. Last five verses. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So I wanted to end with these verses for a reason. After hearing the good news and coming to Jesus, the shepherds begin to tell everyone about what has happened. That's what we see in verses 17 and 18. They didn't just tell Mary and Joseph, but it's more of an inclusive language, right? They begin to tell everyone they come across what has happened. This is really interesting. Some, some Bible commentators call the shepherds the first evangelists. This is awesome. Why? Because they were the first to declare the good news of the birth of Jesus to the world. They were the first human beings to go out and herald this good news. So I think we find here, looking at the whole text, starting with the shepherds, we see a pattern in the shepherds that we ought to imitate. 
right? And it's, and it's a general pattern throughout the Bible. And here's what it is. God does something magnificent. He sends a Savior, Christ the Lord. God does something magnificent. And the shepherds hear what has happened. An angel pronounces, or announces gospel to them. And we see shepherds believe that God has done it. Them going and seeing is evidence of their faith. They say, hey, let's go see this thing. That has happened. We believe it has happened. Let's go. Right? So they believe that God has done it. And then the shepherds tell everyone. And they rejoice. It says they go away glorifying God. I want us to do the same as them. Us to do exactly the same. I want us to soak up this good news that is intended to make the world rejoice and make you rejoice as an individual. And then I want us to believe that God has done a great thing in granting you peace with him through Christ. Now go. Go. When you leave here, go and tell people, this gospel, that the Savior, the King, the Christ, the Lord has come to reconcile sinners to God through himself if they will repent and believe the gospel. Go herald this truth that we celebrate. Be a shepherd on this one. Be like the shepherds. Go and proclaim this truth to everyone in the workplace, at school, wherever you're at, in your own family. Go tell people this truth. And rejoice in it yourself. Rejoice in this good news. This is what we celebrate. The birth of Christ is cause for great joy. So I beg you, let this announcement of joy warm your hearts toward God. And then I want you to glorify God and praise Him and thank Him for what He has accomplished by His own zeal. And then join us in the song that all believers can sing. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King because the King has come. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank you for the fact that your zeal has accomplished many things. The greatest of all of them in in sending Christ to come and die as a substitute in our place for our sin. You are a gracious God. Holy Spirit, please use the truth of this good news that the angel announced to break our hearts and cause us to grow more affectionate towards you. That we would obey you because we love you, because of the gospel that you've given us. Holy Spirit, please break the heart of an unbeliever here and draw them into saving faith in Christ. Father, we know that no matter what we've done, no matter how far we've ran from you, that there's always forgiveness offered to us if we would just repent and believe the gospel. Father, thank you for everything you've accomplished through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.